Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is award-winning New York Times contributor and Washington Post columnist Stephen Petro. His new book is Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old, which is published by our friends at Citadel Press. Stephen, thank you for joining me. Jason, it's a pleasure. It is an honor to have you here. And first things first, Stephen, how have you been doing this past year, year and a half or so? Well, I have to say, you know, all things considered, I um, I did, I did okay. I, um, if it hadn't been for the lockdown, I wouldn't finish have finished this book last spring. So that was that was a plus. And you know, um, as we're as we're recording this, it's early June and. Um, I'm now having this problem of sort of reemergence and being reluctant to to do so fully. Um, there have been things about um, being at home and having a quieter life that I've come to appreciate. So I'm trying to navigate all that. Yeah, absolutely. And Stephen, you and I uh, have been acquaintances going back a few years to 2014 when I ran my first North Carolina Literary Festival, which is now the North Carolina Book Festival. So I've seen you go through more than one promotional cycle. Uh, How do you anticipate this one will be different than books you have written and promoted in the past? Well, I'll tell you one thing that that is different is, you know, sort of this, this question of will events be virtual? Will they be hybrid? Will they be in person? And um, when the tour was first set up, everything was going to be virtual. And very quickly, things are, are starting to shift. And uh, it's interesting. It's confusing. It tells me yet again that the, about the importance of staying flexible and adaptable. And, um, uh, and so I think things remain to, to be seen, but I believe that that our event at the end of July will now be in person and it had started off otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. Well, let's dive into this excellent book, Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. First, uh, the quote by Gabriel Garcia Marquez um, is as follows. It is not true that people stop pursuing dreams because they get old. They grow old because they stop pursuing dreams, end quote. And I feel like this concept is central to your book, Stephen, the idea that just because you might be someone who has lived a long life, that doesn't mean there are things you shouldn't pursue. Can you talk about this? That's, that's really a great, great question. And that is why I chose that quote for um, you know, to be at the very beginning of the book. Um, you know, part of... Uh, so the book is really about 43 different stories and many of them are lighthearted. Some of them, some of them are heavy, but they do fall under you know, kind of a framework of the main theme being how do we stay who we are as we get older? And I remember when I turned 60 several years ago, which would be almost four years ago now, people talked to me like, my whole life was going to change the morning after my 60th birthday. And I was now going to be old. It was like this line in the sand, you know, and I woke up um, the next morning, a little hungover because I had a little bit too much to drink at that party, but you know, I was the same person and three years later. And so I see people who are in their sixties and in their seventies and those who continue to sort of thrive, uh, 
they're engaged. They have dreams. They have passions. They act on them. They understand through experience that illness is one thing and getting older is another. We have conflated them, you know, in our world and sort of made them both the same and both, you know, quote unquote, bad. But um, I'm really trying to make the point in the book that that being older, aging is a, it's a life stage. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like any other and uh, there are pluses and minuses, but we should embrace, we should embrace what's, what's positive in, in all of that. And there is much that is there. And that's what the quote really spoke to. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. Do you have a dream that you are pursuing right now? <laughs> yes, I have. Um, so, I, so, you know, what's, first of all, Jason, what's great about our interview is you're my first. Mm. So you are not getting answers that I've given 27 times, right. which, which I know will be happening. But I also have a feeling that's a question I'm not likely to um, be answered that often. So I appreciate that. I always like the spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I do have, I have sort of a multifaceted dream and I don't know if it adds up to one thing, but I have, I have noticed in the, maybe it was accentuated during the, the lockdown but I've made a shift in my head from wanting to do things that are often referred to as resume builders, um, concrete things that you might get accolades for that people see, you know, in terms of, you know, quote unquote, your, your, your fame, your power, your status, uh, into this this new way of thinking about what matters and um and that's about making a difference and um and how to do that how to touch people how to how to be open in in that way and um so i'm kind of recalibrating you know around that and um and I'll just tell you, you know, there are many small ways that I'm doing it. Um, it is June 1st that we're recording this. And, and tonight, um, Lambda Literary will be announcing um, the winner of the first Randall Keenan Prize, which is going to go to an LGBTQ Black writer. And um, I'm proud to be among the founding sponsors of that um, award for, for our friend, for our fellow book author, um, Randall, who passed uh, last year but also as a way to encourage more black queer people to, to write, to share their experiences. And I don't say that in a self-aggrandizing way, but just um, we can all do things that help others. And so that, that's kind of where, where my mindset is these days. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. And um, I look forward to learning the winner of that award. And we all miss Randall. Um, and I look forward to learning the winner, too, because they, they haven't told any of us either. Oh, right, right. Well, yeah. So I'm not holding back on you. No, no, I totally get it. And, and yeah. um, I like to be surprised. So I would want you to, even if you knew. Um, yeah. So, Stephen, I've had the pleasure of watching you on social media crowdsource topics for this book Mm -hmm. uh, and for other things that you were working on. Can you talk to me in regards to this book about your crowdsourcing of stories and experiences and how that helps your creative process? Absolutely. And I appreciate that, um, that you notice. I also appreciate that you're more of a lurker than a participation. I started using social media in this way 
probably before this book and probably about 10 years ago, because I realized, especially as I was writing then primarily about LGBTQ topics, LGBTQ topics, you know, I'm a, I'm a G, so um, I'm a gay white man. And I was really seeking to broaden the voices that I was bringing into my columns for the Washington Post then. And then as I went through the process of starting to write this book, which is about ageism in many ways, um, internalized ageism, I realized again, you know, I'm one, one person in a spectrum of, of many who are experiencing um, how we get older and the challenges of that and the pleasures of that. And so sought to broaden the types of uh, perspectives that I might bring to the book, the types of voices and, 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 and I have, and it's been really, you know, incredible because, you know, we often see things, you know, primarily out of our own experience, out of, out of our own world or those of our friends. And, uh, you know, I wanted a book that would speak uh, speak more broadly and speak more broadly to the many experiences people have of of becoming older and they're, they're different they're different for straight folks than for gay folks they're different for people of color often than than white people um, rural communities um, versus urban areas so um, you know all of that you know got expanded and also sort of kept me present with you know a broader a broader world than my own which I think is really crucial uh, for writers and especially nonfiction writers these days. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I tend to um, to use social media specifically for promotional purposes, uh, but I I appreciate I've noticed. Yeah, I appreciate people who use it for participatory promotion, um, like you do, and 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 you do very well with it. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Stephen Petro. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Stephen Petro, author of Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old, which is published by our friends at Citadel Press. Stephen, I'd like to now dive into some of the specific details of your book, and I want to talk about the first chapter where I, as a reader, felt truly called out for my age, and that was in the chapter titled, I Won't Double Space After Periods. Um, I've spoken with many, many people about your book, Stephen, and as we speak, it is a little over a month until its release. Um, People are very excited to get their hands on this book, but without exception, everyone says to me, I thought I was supposed to double space after periods. Uh, What's up with this, Stephen? (laughs) 
Well, I wasn't calling you out specifically, Jason. Let me let me tell you that I, I'm calling myself out and and many of our contemporaries. So I'll, I'll, I'll sort of tell you the story, and then I'll tell you the the larger point because the book is is a you know it's a compilation of stories, but they they add up to something more. So most of us who are guilty of double spacing after a period or an exclamation point or any form of punctuation learn to type on a typewriter. And you know, the typing teachers you know, ingrained us, it was double space after a period. And there was a reason because M's were fat, capital I's were narrow. And if you, if you um, didn't double space, you might not always see that there was a break. Not going to go into the technology of when we're on a computer or a laptop or a device. You don't need to do it anymore. Um, uh, Spellcheck actually now corrects you out of that if um, if you have that on, and um, so it's you know it's one of the um, you know new and improved ways that we can we can write, communicate, so on and so forth. But the point is. First of all, I will mark you as an older person, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, part of my theme in this book is you know, know the things that you're doing that might um, mark you that way. And sure, if you wanna to continue to double space, I'm not gonna get in, in the way of that. Although if you're um, here and we were not doing the interview, I might make fun of you. Um, but the larger point also is it's a challenge for, um, for many to sort of stay up to date with technology. And I think that that is an important element in, in our ability to stay connected in the world, to, um, to create new networks, new friends, and, um, you know, and to sort of uh, move forward. And so you know, in that same chapter, I talk about, you know, please don't CC all of your friends when you're sending out a stupid joke, especially. Uh, first of all, you know, some people want to keep their email addresses private and it's not up to your media to release them. And then second, third of all, then you get into the, like the dreaded um, reply all problem, which is still a pandemic among um, my generation. And, you know, that is, you know, you've sent out a message and then a hundred people feel the necessity to write, Hey, thanks. Thanks. You know, um, and it just drives me crazy. Um, so it's all about, it's all about really embracing technology, learning what's new, and um, and retraining our brains in certain ways. So that's that's the point of why you, Jason Jeffrey, should not double space after a period, and nor should Stephen Petro. Right. Thank you, Stephen. And yeah, the reply all thing, um, man. If if I had a nickel for every time someone hit reply all and accidentally sent something to their boss, um, or um, I was once on. People often misspell my last name, and so I get on these chain emails for the wrong person, and then get replied all to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> fun times. Um, well, the next chapter I want to talk about, Stephen, is titled "I Won't Be Afraid to Fall," and I want to talk about this chapter on multiple levels. But first, uh, in regards to surfing, can you explain why you won't be afraid to fall? So, again, a, a great question, and I appreciate how how closely you read the book. But I, I knew you would because I've, I've listened to your other interviews and you're just you're phenomenal. So thank you. Thank you, um, um, you know, people, as they get older, we know the stereotype. They start to fall. They fall more. It can it can create real problems. I just had a, a couple of friends who fell recently and they fractured they fractured their hips in my own family. My grandmother on my father's side 
she fell. She refused to use a cane or anything along the way, and um, it led to a serious illness, and she wound up passing. Same thing for my father. So I've been terrified of falling as, as I get older. Um, and so the surfing, the way the surfing came into this is you have to learn how to fall when you surf because everybody falls. You know, you just can't be a surfer and not fall. So part of it is, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of the technique of how to fall safely, which is actually, you know, something that we can do in our real life. And um, I've done it in my yoga class since then, you know, if you're in an inversion and you fall out of it, how do you fall so you don't like land on something that you might break? Um, uh, so there, there are practical elements in, in learning how to fall, but I think also there's the question of fear and fear often drives more fear and, um, and more challenges. So I think if we have developed a sense of security and rely on the tools that may be available to us, uh, we'll be less fearful and we will also um, you know, be less likely to seriously injure ourselves. And when I say, you know, the tools, uh, you know, I, I mentioned my dad and he had started to fall and we tried to get him to use a cane and he didn't like that because that marked him as old. And I remember sitting down and talking with him and, and trying to explain, I didn't want to mark him as an old man by having, by having this cane. Although I did learn that words matter when I started calling it a walking stick, it was much more acceptable to him. But I wanted to try to help him preserve more of his mobility, more of his freedom uh, by not seeing him have you know, some sort of terrible accident. And um, so sometimes you, know, you need to take a few preemptive steps in terms of planning uh, to preserve more. And that was, that was really a theme you know, of the book overall. Preparation matters you know, a good bit as we sort of move into these next chapters. Yeah. And, um... For someone who is thinking about falling, um, or perhaps an, an older person who hasn't had the time to think about preparation or learning how to fall with surfing, or um, for me, it was snowboarding. I tried snowboarding once, Stephen, and I fell and hit the back of my head so many times I switched to skis like that. Um, but um, if someone is falling and has not had the chance to learn how, how would you recommend they deal with that both physically and mentally? Well, the first part is again about trying to let go of the fear. And then, you know, I, I'm not sure how, you know, I'm not sure how I can really explain how to fall safely in, in sort of audio context. I could, sure. <laughs> Um, I could go. I, I could go try to fall and, and and show you some of the, some of the things. But you want to be, you know, you want to be first of all, as you learn, you want to be mindful of your head, and you want to be you know protecting your head when you can. Now, not you're not going to necessarily be wearing a piece of headgear, but if you fall, that's the thing that you want to pay most attention to, and then also try not to land, um, you know, to to break a fall with your you know with your hands and so on and so forth. But um, mm -hmm. It's more having, you know, a sense of confidence that it's okay to fall, and there's safer ways to fall, and um, and uh, and just really being aware. And a theme again of the book is becoming more mindful of the individual decisions we make every single day mm. about, about how we go forward, and uh, you know, sort of you know, being aware of how to fall, but also 
being aware of the ruts that we're in. So if we're walking, try walking in different in different directions, different different um, to different places, because that will again sort of rescramble the brain, and um, also allow us to experience things differently. There's a chapter where um, I used to walk my dog in Hillsborough one way around town, and then after I'd been in this yoga class and everything had been turned upside down, I started walking her the other way around town. And it was almost like I was living in a new place. I saw, I saw things differently. I saw new people and it was, it was refreshing and exciting and, you know, kind of gets back to, you know, the point of, you know, how do you stay excited about life? How do you not um, sort of let it close in on you? Right. Thank you so much, Stephen. Um, before the commercial break, uh, we, you alluded to this a little bit, but I want to come back around to this topic in your chapter titled, I won't limit myself to friends, my own age. Uh, you talk about your contemporaries speaking down to young people. And as such, I wonder if you can talk about the differences, if there are any beyond the obvious surfer surface differences of ageism versus older generations looking down upon millennials, for example. If I understand your question correct, let me start off by saying there's, you know, we, we kind of have heard the phrase internalized homophobia, internalized racism, misogyny. We hear a little bit less about internalized ageism. And that is when folks kind of take on these negative attributes of what it means to be older and they let those attitudes narrow their lives. And you know, the worst example, or the most common example are these birthday cards that are meant to be funny, but really make fun of, of people like, you know, this is gonna be your second to last birthday or you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, research has shown, and it's research from the past year, that these negative attributes, they lead to a greater amount of physical illness, mental illness, mental health issues, and less um, or shorter life expectancy. And one of the shocking things from one of those studies was that internalized ageism is as, is as negative to us as smoking and can cut as much as 8.5 years off of a life. So, so on that level, my contemporaries need to understand how they're limiting themselves and how they're hurting themselves, ourselves, by doing, by doing that. Um, and one way of seeing that more clearly is to expand, you know, expand your universe. And um, I, I jokingly like to say, you know, we'll be able to learn more, we'll see different perspectives, and usually you'll get a built-in IT person um, at the same time. And um, because going back to the double spacing and other issues, mm -hmm. those folks uh, tend to be more on top of it. You know, and one of my role models in the book is a, is a woman, um, a good friend of mine, Denise Kessler. And she had always um, been a very active, engaged person. I met her when she was 77. Uh, she died when she was 98. Uh, she was probably almost 40 years older than me, but she continued to cultivate new young friends as, as she got older that just made her alive. She thrived on them. And of course, most of her contemporaries passed. She was like the last woman surviving when she died at 98. So there's a practical reason too, you know, for wanting to, or, or seeking to expand your world that way. But she really became, or she really stayed true to, you know, the, the inquisitive, the adventurous, adventuresome person that she had always been. And um, I just, I learned so much from seeing her do that. 
Right. Thank you so much, Stephen. Um, and finally, Stephen, and listeners, we have barely touched upon the surface of this book that I know so many of you are already looking forward to reading. But finally, Stephen, I want to talk about the quote-unquote organ recital. Uh, this is something that I have noticed happening to my contemporaries, and that is most certainly happening to my family members who are in the older generations. Um, I think I can safely say that without calling anyone out specifically. I don't want to get shaming text messages after this airs. Um, but what is the organ recital, Stephen, and how uh, do so many people fall prey to it, and how do you plan to avoid it? <laughs> Well, so for starters, the organ recital does not take place in Duke Chapel. Right. It is this um, increasingly common refrain among, I would say among people 50 plus, where the focus of conversations, whether it's at, at dinners or at, at drink time or even walking, is about all of our aches and pains. And in the same way that, you know, when folks were younger, you know, we talked a little bit overboard about our kids and, um, and then about our jobs. And now you get into this life stage where it's, if you were to define people by the amount of time they talked about illness, you would think we are our illnesses. And um, some, of them are, some of them are serious, some of them are not. But again, it's a matter of becoming aware of uh, how we're dominating um, our conversation and, and again, how we're impacting ourselves. Because if I start to think of, of my contemporaries or my friends as being this, you know, this compilation of you know, one illness and one condition, that's not good, that's not healthy. So you know, my, my prescription in the book here is, yeah, first of all, become aware of it and then purposely limit it. You know, if you're going to, um, you know, if you're going to be with a group of friends for dinner, I say, you know, have one drink where you can talk about and join the organ recital, and then it's time to, to, to move on and to move on to other, other matters of substance. Um, you know, and if you're in a mixed group with younger people, they often will then start to you know, perceive us, uh, again, as having sort of being this one-dimensional type of person. So, um, uh, and sort of also that being said, I will, I will say that for serious illness, the rules are different, you know, and there you want to be circumspect about who you share with and how you share with, but support does matter a great deal, a great deal there. And um, I put those a little bit in a different category of, of how we talk about and, and what we need. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. I cannot wait to get it into our store. And I know so many people are ready to buy it right now. Listeners, I've been speaking to Stephen Petro, author of Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old, which is published by our friends at Citadel Press. Stephen, thank you for joining me. Jason, thank you so much and see you soon in the store. Yes, sir. Once again, I have been speaking with Stephen Petro, author of Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. Copies of Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries and this has been Booking.